Danish Your Heart on Fire podcast episode number 88. No worries. So what did you love about the ballet? You, how long, how many years did you do that? Um, so I started when I was three and I officially stopped when I was um, 20. So, oh, wow. So that's yeah. a long time. A long time. Yeah, I, I loved it. In the end, I loved it and I hated it. Um, <laughs> mm. I loved, um, I think I love dancing to piano because you dance to live um, piano. Mm-hmm. I kind of loved the structure of it at the time. It's really, really, really structured. It's not very creative up until a certain point. It's, mm-hmm. it's more like you're tuning your body to become an instrument. Um, it's very, very That's a good specific. Analogy. Yeah, it's, it's really specific. Um, I don't know. I just, I just loved it. My parents didn't push me for it. Like they didn't care. They weren't show parents at all. They, they were like, yeah, do what you want. by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Charles with the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast coming at you with another weekly episode. And I think... I have the first person from Australia on the podcast and I've definitely interviewed people from different parts of the world and it's nice to, I guess, speak to someone from down under and I guess you even have to let me know the correct pronunciation of your name. I guess it's Genevieve. Is that correct? Yeah, that's it. That's correct. I feel like Genevieve is like one of those names you would hear from like Lord of the Rings or or something like that. I don't think I've met a Genevieve before. No, it's very old school. I mean, <laughs> it's like French as well. I think they can say like Genevieve, but it's for like grandmas. It's like a grandma name. Mm, yeah, <laughs> we have some of those older names for like Alfred or Vernon, my grandfather's <laughs> name. <laughs> so... Those names aren't as cop- as popular anymore. But then you see some celebrities, they name their kids North and South and East and West. And I'm like, Yeah, I'm like okay. lemon. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 interesting nowadays to have, I guess, the names and then different names nowadays. This also reminds me of like what the whole pandemic was happening. People were gonna name their name, their kids like a uh, quarantina. Oh my god! Or Corona, <laughs> or something like that. Different things like that. So it's horrible. it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think these particular kids being born now are like 
the start of like a new generation, like Generation C or COVID generation, because those people are being born into like mask and like the pandemic and all those kinds of things. So it's it's interesting. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm 35. So it's interesting to like talk to people and like, like I've been playing tennis and I went to a middle school and I'm like, it was over 20 years that I played tennis on these courts. Yeah. And just to say that I did something 20 years ago is like, okay, that's a long time ago or different songs come out. I'm like, okay, when did that song come out? And it came out like 17 years ago. And I'm like, oh, I was wow. like young and like <laughs> hip. And it was like almost two decades ago. Uh, yeah. It's definitely interesting to, I guess, realize that. But then it's like, I find myself listening to older school music. And then like when I was young, my parents were listening to their music. And I'm like, why don't you listen to anything new? And then <laughs> I grow like older <laughs> and I'm listening to the same thing. I do listen to like other things, but like, I feel like my go-to radio station is like old school nineties R and B hip hop or two thousands. It just, it just feels so good with the nostalgia. (laughs) I don't even think it's like a talent thing. Like I listen to like 69 and like all these rappers and stuff like that. And it just, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't appeal to me, you know, Mm -hmm. but when I listen to like Jagged Edge or Ashanti or Alicia Keys or something like that, I don't know. I just, I just feel different. So, So yeah. Yeah, that's a different rant completely <laughs> than <laughs> the dance. But um, yeah, I just I just feel like kind of getting that off my chest. But um, as you can see here, we can see each other. If you're listening on the podcast, I have some gray in my goatee, <laughs> even though I'm 35. But I, I feel like I feel I see people that are older than me that have less gray. But mm-hmm. I see my brother. I told you before we did the podcast, I'm the oldest of eight. Mm. So my brother is younger than me and he has more gray than I do. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's something in the genes or something. It's good. You're know. making it work. Looks good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how are you doing? Enough about me. Um, how's your day going? Um, I know you. it's 10 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. tomorrow. tomorrow. You, yeah. Yep. I mean, tomorrow. I mean, Saturday. Yeah, it's good. It's sunny here. Um, we're having kind of a weird summer um, in Australia. Like last year, we had the, the crazy bushfires. Um, yeah, that was really crazy. Yeah, that was insane. Mm. Were you affected by that, like in a bad way or? Um, yeah, a little. I was pretty stressed out um my family actually got stuck in um the south coast so i was like separated um from them and there was all the fires like really 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 close and they couldn't get back um to sydney mm. where we live over christmas and new year so it was pretty stressful like they were fine um and our house was fine but it was yeah it was full on it was a full on time yeah i remember yeah. seeing some of the images and like the animals that were getting burned and it was oh. just like such a a tragic thing that was this year right it was last christmas so mm. yeah so now we've got um what's it called el nino or el nino the, the el nino rain. yes yeah mm-hmm. so yeah now we have rain so it's kind of a nice Nice change. Yeah, so it helps uh, control all the fires and stuff like that. Mm. So that's awesome. Mm. 
Can I ask how old you are? Is that an, yes. an, an allowed question? I know some women are like, don't ask me how old I am. <laughs> you can. Um, I'm, I'm 27. I feel like I'm having a quarter life crisis at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Okay. Yeah. So you can kind of relate to the things that I was saying I earlier. Can, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting running into kids and they like don't know who Destiny's Child was or anything like that, you know? So very, very interesting. Yeah, we're getting old. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's like, I don't know, what if we live to when we're 100? Then we're like like a third of the way through our lives. So it's like, I don't know, there's still a lot more to be done. And mm-hmm. people seem to be doing more things when they're older and 60-year-olds running marathons and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I agree. Um, People seem to be getting like fitter and and better as they get older. I don't know. I feel like forty mm-hmm. is is the new twenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because I feel like your consciousness doesn't really age. You mm-hmm. know, you're still the same person. You know, mm-hmm. um, you just have more experiences, and maybe your body um, doesn't react the way that it used to. But yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. But um. For the people who may not have heard of you, mm. can you let people know what you did in the dance scene before COVID? So what did you, the dance like look like mm-hmm. moving into 2020 if the pandemic didn't happen in a nutshell? Uh, okay. For me, the, the beginning of 2020, um, so I dance full-time. Kizomba is my, my full-time life. So, yeah, and I live in Sydney in Australia. And right before COVID hit, I decided to take on a sublease contract at a dance studio in mm. Sydney and, and really try to open like a proper Kizomba school here, um, you know, to have like classes every night of Kizomba, more of like a hub um, because there's a lot of Latin dance schools here, but not a lot of um, Kizomba, Kizomba schools. Um, so I was like teaching every night, like pumping, like going full out, you know, trying to I can relate. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was honestly it was too much. It was crazy. And then maybe two months after I started that, COVID <laughs> COVID hit and the studio had to close and, and everything changed quite dramatically. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been really interesting to talk to the different dancers this year post COVID mm-hmm. and see how the pandemic has been affecting them and has been affecting local dance studios because obviously mm-hmm. If you can't have people coming into the studio, then it's hard to pay rent. Mm. And how, what do you do with those contracts afterwards, you know? And then what do people do in their local scenes if they want to start dancing, you know? So mm. it's been really, really interesting. Um, you mentioned before that there was a lot of Latin dancing. So that seems to be kind of like the standard thing. Mm. Um, I know for me, myself, my first partner dance was salsa. Oh and God. I was dancing salsa recreationally for about five, six years. And then I found out about Kizomba and then all these opportunities started presenting themselves. Um, was that kind of similar to you as well? Uh, sort of. My first partner dance, I think it's actually Caribbean Zouk. Um, okay. Yeah. I used to go to Zouk parties in Sydney like ages ago. Like, mm-hmm. um, And I took that, like they had classes before, mm-hmm. before the party. So I took classes in that. And then aside from that, I really just did solo dance styles a lot. I did like a little bit of salsa, but I never took classes. I just like kind of fumbled my way through. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then Kizomba was my first um, partner dance 
like officially, I would say, like mm-hmm. beyond Zook, Zook was a bit like very casual. This was more like serious. <laughs> For sure. Like yeah. Zook isn't very uh, codified. No. Um, can you take us back to those parties? Because I've never, I mean, I'm not the grandmaster all-knowing person in the world, mm-hmm. but I've never heard of a Caribbean Zook class. Mm-hmm. I know that it's just kind of like, it's almost like, Merengue, you know, like you don't really go to like the dance studio to like learn how to dance merengue or compa maybe. And I feel Mm. like Zook kind of falls within that same bubble. Mm. But do you remember what kind of music you were listening to? Who were the instructors? What kind of moves did they teach? Yeah, the the instructor was a guy called um, Mika. Um, Mm -hmm. Mika Mendez? No, I'm just kidding. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it was. Yeah, it was really like a casual class. Um, from my memory, it was just really like the basic steps, like learning how to do the basic weight transfer, how to be mm-hmm. embrace. Um, I don't even know what you call that, like the swingy step where you, you know, you've got like your knees really bent and you're both like mm, and the hips. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a pendulum tarashinya. <laughs> totally. Pendulum tarashinya. Let's call it that. That was it. <laughs> Learned that. Um, the music was all compa. And Zook, um, what else? That was mainly it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really fun. But yeah, the class was really basic, and they kind of did basically the same stuff each week. But I think because it's in Sydney, so you know, like lots of people who would come there, I guess they have no idea maybe like how to even be in the embrace. Like I feel Australia is kind of conservative. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe that was why they they wanted to put the class there. I don't know, but it, it was good. I liked it. Is Australia conservative? I'm not sure yeah. about the the demographics there. I, I feel well. I learned kizomba first of all in Colombia, um, mm-hmm. and then when I came back to Australia, I I noticed that it felt conservative to me in terms of our um, like our touch barrier or um, personal mm-hmm. space bubble. I guess compared to like Latin America, feels a lot more like extremely warm and open and affectionate. Whereas in Australia, I feel we're still warm and affectionate and stuff, but not to that extent. So mm-hmm. I feel there is more of a barrier before you can really get like into those like deep connection dances. It's it's like a warm up. There's like a build up. You know, it's not like straight away go and like hug your partner. Exactly. Yeah. For sure. Mm. I have something that I've heard about Australia (laughs) and (laughs) I'm going to share it and then you can let me know if that makes sense. But I heard, Mm. so I've had friends that have traveled to Australia, both male and female. Mm -hmm. And they told me that it was, I guess, Australians seem to be a lot more open when it came to like casual sex and and things like that (laughs) and like flirting but i'm i mean i don't know like really is that i think that's that's the compared to who compared to americans yeah both of them were americans okay Mm, i don't know i would have i would have thought the opposite interesting but wait was this like within the dance scene that they were meeting people or like just like the general pop or Mm, I think there were more dancers. Most of the people that I know are dancers, but they said that they, (laughs) (laughs) I guess it wasn't just like, it was, I guess it was more of an uh, easier concept for people to embrace 
casual sex, but I don't know why that's the idea that I had that's in my so brain funny. for Australia. <laughs> I, maybe I'm naive. I don't know. But I, I actually would have thought the opposite. But also I kind of live in my own bubble. So mm. it's highly possible that that's like in general true, but just in my reality, it's not true. But For sure. And yeah. it's, it's interesting to just like talk to people and hear about what they do versus obviously within the dancing and then also outside of the dancing, but then whether the society kind of like embraces that truth, you know, because we're definitely sexual beings. We're like, we're the most sexual beings on the planet comparing Mm -hmm. to like primates and other animals and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But definitely like, I don't know, like premarital sex in some parts of the country can get you stoned to death, you know, Mm -hmm. and in other parts of the country, it's just like, another Friday, Saturday night, you know? So another place I heard was uh, Montreal. That's really, um, I guess, just open about those kind of things. Mm. No, I mean, I live near the beach. So um, Mm. there's like, I guess the mainstream culture here is really like the beach culture. And Mm. I do remember when I was growing up, like teenager and stuff, there, there was a really super like open sexual thing happening but not in a really empowered way like we've still I think yeah it's it's still pretty old school to me like the mm. like within my bubble that I <laughs> that I live in I'm really interested in like sacred sexuality and you know I think sex is like really yeah sacred and I'm more like interested in that way of looking at it but I do mm-hmm. feel like the yeah the mainstream culture here is probably the opposite to that so yeah I guess it's kind of open but not maybe in a super empowered way just in like a mm, I got you yeah just a casual I way got you. yeah for sure and it's, and it's interesting to I guess I mean I know this is a podcast about dance but <laughs> I've recently been reading Sex at Dawn so like all of these ideas are like really fresh in my brain about like how society and culture uh kind of shapes the way that we view interactions with another human beings and then reading the book and seeing how we're like biologically built, you know, like mm-hmm. um, one of the interesting facts that I discovered in the book was that are the, the homo sapien females have hidden menstruation. Like, you know, when a, a cat is in heat, like mm-hmm. everybody knows the cat is in heat. She's looking for her <laughs> meat and all that kind of stuff, but it's not the case with homo sapiens, you know? And even taking a look at the biology, like why is the penis shaped the way that it is? Mm-hmm. And into why nine months and the number of eggs versus sperm and all this kind of stuff. Um, it's really fascinating to kind of see it from like a evolutionary prehistoric lens and then mm-hmm. put that on top of the societal lens of how you should be, I guess, proper or religious or old school. And mm-hmm. then you have like the sacred sensuality lens and then there's porn and non-monogamy and polyamory. So it's, it gets kind quite crazy, but yeah, it's yeah. so interesting. I love it. I think it's so interesting. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, I have a question about we won't get if we start talking about that, we're gonna yeah, talk about that for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised to hear that there was Caribbean Zook in Australia. So mm-hmm. uh, can you share a little bit about the demographics of what was going on in Sydney at that time? Like mm-hmm. black people versus white people mm-hmm. and how prominent was the Caribbean culture and all that kind of stuff to even be able to have Zook parties. Sure. And I guess you guys are down under and kind of disconnected from 
the rest of the world in a way. Mm. So I guess mm. you have any insights into that? I do. I'm definitely not the expert. Um, mm-hmm. You uh, can share your pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do know that party doesn't exist anymore. So it, um, it did run for like quite a few years and like from my experience, there was uh, like the Caribbean and also the West African communities in Sydney. Even though I felt like they're not that big in terms of like numbers, their mm-hmm. presence um, seemed pretty unified through like music and and dance and like creating cultural events. And I feel like actually now, um, even though that specific party doesn't exist, it's become like even more unified. And there's like qu- like there's quite a lot of different. Um, yeah, events that are, yeah, like celebrating those cultures and their music um, in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sydney is interesting. Like if you come here, we it's very multicultural, um, but it's kind of very segregated. So like it's a massive, massive city. Um, What's the population? I don't know, maybe eight million but sorry okay so that's decent it's also geographically massive like it's really Mm. spread out so yeah we have like whole suburbs like um which like different cultures tend to congregate like it's it seems very segregated Mm, yeah um yeah so i'm not entirely sure how that's happened i think it's got a lot to do with like the immigration process here and it's not very streamlined um, and I don't know, heaps of reasons. But we have so many, yeah, like different like cultural events, cultural parties, even though we're isolated. I feel like, yeah, there's every everyone's here (laughs) and everyone's like Mm -hmm. doing that and and sharing it and it's it's nice. It's really nice. Mm -hmm. I got you. It's definitely on my list uh, to visit and mm-hmm. see, but I don't know the flight is like freaking 20 hours or something yeah. like that to get there. <laughs> yeah. But and they won't um, let anybody right now, but yeah. <laughs> for sure. Uh, it's definitely on my list to, to visit at least and maybe spend a month out there and kind of explore because it's definitely just different, you know, just yeah. being so far away from the rest of the world, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you should. It's nice. So, um, let's shift our focus to dance because this is a dance <laughs> podcast a little bit. Um, but that was a good intro. I've been, yeah. I've been spend, I've been uh, taking my time with the intro and just like having some some nice conversations. So, so that was good. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was a really good start. So, in regards to your background mm-hmm. and things of that nature with your parents and your upbringing. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have generations of Australians behind you or was there immigration recently or? Um, yeah. So uh, on my mom's, my mom is Australian. So, um, and yeah, behind her is more Australians. Although, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't know so much about them. So like I knew my grandparents, but beyond that, no, I don't know anything, but mm-hmm. apparently they were um, like, you know, when you do your ancestry or I don't know, apparently they, exactly. they were a bit naughty, <laughs> my ancestors. Here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we, we don't really know. Um, but my, my dad is Scottish. So he came here um, when he was like 20 something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, all my my dad's family is um, Scottish or Irish, and they all mm-hmm. live. Um, actually, have family uh, who 
live in America, um, in Florida. Where in the States? In Florida, okay. Yeah, in Florida. Um, and then, yeah, beyond that, they're all kind of just scattered all over mm. Europe. Have you been to Ireland or Scotland? I've been to Scotland, yeah, like a lot when I was a kid, but I haven't been oh for like 10 years i haven't i haven't been back mm. and i've never been to I ireland to, yeah i got you i went to mm. dublin one time in one of my european trips oh. that was cool we did a little bit of dancing there and mm. i remember riding on the bus like eight o'clock in the morning and there's this guy young guy that was drunk out of his head <laughs> crazy oh so uh-huh for yeah. sure <laughs> That's what you see in Dublin for sure. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was cool. Uh, mm. I was hoping to go back to Europe uh, after I got my heart situation fixed, but mm. now we have to get through the, the pandemic. So we'll okay. see. Yeah. Mm. Are you guys actually allowed to travel um, if you want so to? So we're allowed to travel between the states. Okay. Canada's border is closed. Mm. Uh, Mexico is open. Um, I don't think there's any restriction there. And I'm not sure about places in South America, but I know there's a few countries that are letting people in from the States, but I think the majority of them are definitely closed off. Mm. And uh, today is the 6th of November, so we're still waiting for the results of the election to be resulted. And I think like the world is waiting to just like (laughs) get Trump out of office and then, okay, now let's like work together as a global community and get over this thing, you know? Mm. So hopefully they'll announce that soon. It looks like Biden is, is pretty close to winning it in, in multiple ways. It's not just one pathway. It's like if they, they call the results of any of these three States, uh, Arizona, Pennsylvania, or Georgia, Mm. then he has enough votes from the electoral college to win. Mm. And yeah, we'll be able to kind of like try to get back on track again. So thank God. (laughs) I think the rest of the world will (laughs) appreciate that because man, it's it's been crazy. And this is also not a political podcast. So no sex, no politics. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry. I'm the queen of distracting (laughs) us. No, it's completely fine. Because these are relevant things. It'll be interesting to like listen to this podcast a year from now, but oh yeah, these things were happening in in the world at that particular time. So the podcast in a way is kind of like a time capsule of like what was happening Mm. in the world. And it's like present time plus past and then i guess perspective looking into the future you know yeah so we'll see what our future selves uh have to say about this podcast in the future but um let's go ahead and take a peek into your dance journey and Mm -hmm. when was your first uh introduction to dance you mentioned that your dad was scottish Mm -hmm. um so was there any like irish dancing or anything (laughs) like that or was there any australian folkloric dancing you know what? I've done so much dancing in my life, so much. And the two kinds that I've never done is Scottish or Australian. <laughs> I've never Are there done Australian it. dances? I just kind yeah. of like were grabbing out of thin air, but I'm pretty sure that you guys have some folklore yeah. dances and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. The indigenous, the indigenous people here, definitely. They have um, like lots of different kinds of dancing, but um, uh, I have no idea about like how to do that i've i've seen it we have a really amazing Mm -hmm. dance company called um bangara dance theater they're indigenous dance company and they're Mm -hmm. amazing they mix contemporary dance with indigenous australian dance 
Um, I'll send you a link actually after. It's really beautiful. Yeah, we can put the a YouTube link into the show notes of this podcast so the listeners can can check that out. I'm curious about it. Yeah, it's but, beautiful. But yeah, me, no, I've never done that. <laughs> no worries. How did you get started? Um, I started when I was three. Um, I started um, doing ballet. My parents, I guess they just took me there to see if I would um, like it. And I super loved it. And I just never stopped. So since I'm three till now, I'm 27, I never stopped. <laughs> Can I ask how tall you are? You look tall in your videos, but I have no idea. I'm, I'm pretty tall. I'm five foot eight. Okay. So that's tall for a lady. I'm six feet. So You're I got you. Feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty tall, especially for a dancer. I feel like most um, dancers are quite short. Women, women dancers. Are quite mm, short. Yeah. For sure. And then like, it makes it hard to like wear heels and stuff like that when you're taller as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't wear heels anyway. I don't like them. Um, but mm. yeah, I wouldn't. In Kizomba, me with heels, I would be like six foot something. And I just, <laughs> I don't, yeah, no, no, thank you. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. So what did you love about the ballet? You, how long, how many years did you do that? Um, so I started when I was three and I officially stopped when I was um, 20. So, oh, wow. So that's yeah. a long time. A long time. Yeah, I, I loved it. In the end, I loved it and I hated it. Um, mm. <laughs> I loved, um, I think I love dancing to piano because you dance to live um, piano. Mm -hmm. I kind of loved the structure of it at the time. It's really, really, really structured. It's not very creative up until a certain point. It's, mm -hmm. it's more like you're tuning your body to become an instrument. Um, it's very, very That's a good specific. Analogy. Yeah, it's, it's really specific. Um, I don't know. I just, I just loved it. My parents didn't push me for it. Like they didn't care. They weren't show parents at all. They, they were like, yeah, do what you want. So I really like drove that. But yeah, at a point, my, my body is not correct for ballet. You sort of have to pop out mm. of the room, um, you know, very specifically carved if you want to be a ballerina. Mm. And my, I don't, I don't suit the, the industry either. It's very, it's quite a toxic industry. So. Mm. Yeah, I did leave that behind completely. Yeah, I got you. Mm. I've taken a couple of ballet classes here in Austin, and definitely when you like being at a high level in one dance and then going into another dance and realizing, like, okay, you're just like playing around with the first five Lego blocks of like the Great Wall mm. of China and just so many things. But I do agree that like the structure is really nice because everything kind of like builds on top of one another. Mm. And like, it's nice to have that structure to know like, okay, I'm going to keep practicing this fundamental because it's going to help me with the next step, you know? Mm. And I'm pretty sure with you teaching Kizomba, you can see how sometimes it's not so codified and then it makes it a little bit harder. It's like, okay, well, what am I supposed to learn next? What are the building blocks? How do these things kind of like all link together, you know? Mm, that's very true. Yeah. Yeah, it's so different. But I like it, like, in terms of teaching Kizomba because I like mm -hmm. to try and find, like, my own structure in it or somehow, like, yeah, create some kind of pedagogy that makes some kind of sense in terms of, yeah, like training as if you would train ballet, but Kizomba. Yeah, mm -hmm, definitely. No, it's good because, I mean, since there's no structure out there, the instructors have to kind of, like, come up with their own thingamajiggy, mm. thingamajiggy, their own pedagogy. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, uh huh. And from there, like you're really just trying to like, what can I do for it to make sense to the students? Mm-hmm. And I feel like a key thing that this is one idea that's been rattling in my brain is just mm-hmm. students retaining knowledge. You know, mm-hmm. I felt like when I was learning a lot of Kizoma classes, it was like this is the combination of the day, mm-hmm. and you teach like eight counts or sixteen counts. And then maybe you remember half of it. And then by the time it got to the social, by the end of that day, then you didn't really remember anything. Mm. And then you record it and then you never really go back to it. And then you go take a class from another instructor, another random pattern. And then there's like no cohesion. You know, it was like basic one, basic two, basic three, Saida's. And then after that, it was just like (laughs) everybody's own (laughs) interpretation, you know? And of course, in like Kizomba, you have like your basics of like, Corradino and Estrella and all these different things, but definitely it's nice to kind of like see the Lego blocks and put them together. Mm. And it's really cool to see the structure in, I'm not sure if you do any Brazilian Zouk or West Coast Swing, but I feel Mm. like those have brought like structure into like those fundamental blocks as well to kind of make it Mm. a little bit just create like, I want to see the ladder. What, where is the ladder? Where, what am I climbing? You know? Yeah, 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 exactly. No, I haven't, I haven't done Zook, but I'm starting like in two weeks. I'm literally starting. I'm so excited. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I've been adjacent to Zook for so many years, just being a part of the kids world. Mm. And I actually decided last year that I was going to compete in the Jack and Jill's because that's like a thing that they oh, do. Cool. And it was nice. It was nice and humbling to kind of like, put yourself in the shoes of a beginner, but then also embrace it because like you're always a student and yeah, I was going to compete some more this year, but obviously COVID-19 did not want that to happen, but it's, it's really nice when you start to get into it and you start to see the pedagogy and the way that they embrace the dance is really um, inspiring Mm. to, I, I really enjoyed watching the, the pros and the way that they teach and being inspired from their knowledge that they brought into the dance and also seeing a lot of the cohesive building blocks across different instructors. Uh, like they all kind of have that same base knowledge. Maybe they might have a different way of implementing it or maybe have their preferences, Mm -hmm. but it was still very clear. Like, Hey, this is Virginia. This is lateral. This is Boneca. This is the bonus. Like, all these names were very standard and that made it very nice Mm. to have that consistency between instructors throughout, I guess, almost internationally. Yeah. I feel like probably we don't have that yet in Kisamba, but no, we don't. (laughs) (laughs) We're a bit scatty. I feel like, I feel like that's the, it's, but at the same time, so we're going to get back to your dance journey. I promise. But, um, in kids, mm. the level of musicality that you can implement is fucking insane. Yeah. Like so many opportunities, so much freedom to take any element that you want in the song and do what you want, mm. you know. But on the pedagogy, like we said before, it's not so structured. So we have a lot of this creativity that kind of like becomes the the standard, you know. Yeah. And in Zook. I feel like there's a lot of pedagogy, but I don't see some of the same 
intricacy in the musicality, in the execution. Uh, of course, you have like some of the big ones and like the follow does like a big hair <laughs> whip thing or, or something like that, which is nice. But like the little layers of intricacy and musicality, you only see from like some of the really high level dancers. <laughs> and sometimes you can't tell what kind of music the follower is dancing to if you were to watch a Zuka video on mute. Mm. Yeah, maybe you might be able to tell, maybe not. But I feel like if you're watching like an intermediate advanced uh, Kizoma dancer, you'd be able to like pick out little, oh, he did something with his foot or something with his chest or there was a leg lift or something like that. And those things highlight different things. But that's that's at least what my brain is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Well, that's also what I completely love about Kizomba and the whole community and everything is so creative and it's so mm-hmm. intricate and yeah the musicality is like limitless it's so mm-hmm. exciting all the time i love it <laughs> definitely do you guys have a, a fusion scene there in sydney yeah so i i'm i teach fusion i don't actually teach nice. yeah, um i think in sydney uh, i would say it's a fusion scene honestly i'd say it's like 80% fusion urban and 20% kizomba Ah, so, okay, I, I need to clarify what I meant. So there's fusion within the Kizomba bubble, and then there's like fusion as its own entity, as like its own partner dance. So um, let's say you have like a West Coast swing dancer and a salsa dancer, uh-huh. and they come together and they dance to Bruno Mars ah, okay, or okay. something like that. Mm. So it's, I guess, taking that. Uh, fusion and increasing the percentage of fusion in that particular dance, you know, because I I mean, of course Mm -hmm. you have bachata fusion, tango fusion, kizoma fusion, salsa fusion, Mm -hmm. all these kind of things, but like the core element is still that particular partner dance. Yeah. Um, But with fusion, it's really like random music, Mm. different dancers with different backgrounds and they just kind of come together and just kind of play. I see. I see. No, I don't think we have that. That's not like established, only like uh, individual collaborations. Like, mm. yeah, like maybe I would go and do that with somebody else or somebody else. Would, but as like a community thing, I don't see that. No. Yeah. That it's something great, that's though. pretty cool. It's, I don't think it could be my main dance, but it's very nice to like have a weekend mm. and just play mm. and take all your different dance knowledges that you have and put them in the front of your mind, you know? Because mm-hmm. uh, obviously, if you're thinking about Kizomba, you're not really thinking about ballet lines or different dance knowledges that you have. But here, since there's really no limit, whatever your body is able to do or has learned is game in, in a particular Ooh, I dance. I love that. I want to do that. That sounds so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, yeah. It sounds good. When you have players that have like some real skills in their pockets and mm-hmm. they're coming to play, mm-hmm. uh, since it is so free, sometimes you have people that just kind of show up, but they don't really have any particular skill set. <laughs> um, and so that way they're just kind of like moving around the way, which is totally cool and valid. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if you had like some really advanced dancers come and play, mm-hmm. I think it will be really cool. And then you can dance to some really cool music as well, because you can they pretty much play anything they feel like playing. Mm, that sounds so good. So this is like mm-hmm. a jam, basically, with all different. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you're just trying to like create what you can in the moment based on the music, you know, mm. wow. it's almost like clubbing, but with partner dancing a little bit. 
Cool. I love that. No, that, that's not here, to my knowledge. No, we don't I have gotcha. that. Mm, cool. So um, what happened after ballet? You said you're doing that from three until you're 20. And I'm sorry we got off on a tangent. Sometimes I get excited. <laughs> um, um, you said that you decided to end. Did you already start dancing something else or was there a break for a few years? Um, yeah. So what happened was um, directly when I finished high school, I went and auditioned for all. We have like full time dance colleges here. Um that you do like when you finish high school if you want to be a professional dancer so you yeah you do like the, the audition and, and blah 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 so I did this um and then I ended up going to one um like dance school that did um musical theater um commercial dance ballet it was like all the kind of mainstream like contemporary hip-hop ballet jazz musical theater singing drama mm -hmm. so yeah I went there for one year um like five days a week, like nine to five, that kind of thing. Um, and it's only practical. So there's pretty much no theory. So it's not for teaching. It's just if you want to be like a performer or work in the commercial industry. It was so intense, like seriously, probably still almost the most intense year of my life. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it was full on. Um, it was good. But, yeah, so that was, yeah, that was like right after high school. And I decided after that year that I also didn't like the, the commercial industry and I, I didn't want to be in the commercial industry. So um, I just decided to go to Peru randomly for like a break from dancing and Brazil. And, yeah, so I went there and then when I was in Brazil, I saw samba dancing for the first time and I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> I was so excited they were tall the women were tall that was exciting for me because mm -hmm. I've always felt um a bit uncomfortable about that um and it was like so much life and passion and it was just amazing so then I was like okay well mm -hmm. maybe I don't need to quit dancing maybe I'm just in the wrong dance um mm -hmm. how did you feel about the samba outfits I love those are it. definitely unique oh as my well. god yeah no that was definitely another draw card the shoes the outfit like everything mm -hmm. <laughs> I loved it and then yeah when I came back to Sydney I I had like a casting I was on like an online casting site for dance jobs and I saw there was an audition for a samba group and I was like so kind of like I lost all my confidence, you know, after after this this massive year, um, and I was like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to audition. And my mom actually is the one who was like, you have to audition, and she she's not like that. She's not the one like pushing me for stuff. Um, so she she even took me. I didn't even have a car or anything. I was like, I can't go. I don't even have a car. She took me to the audition, um, mm -hmm. and I just remember that that day I did the audition. All these people were there, like with the Brazilian drums, like batucada, and I was like, mm -hmm. oh my god, I was so in love. And yeah, so then I got that, and then I started samba dancing here, and that was like a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did how involved did you get in that? Did you perform? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We, it was a performance troupe, so we did, like, heaps of training and then we ended up, like, performing for, like, festivals and weddings and in, like, restaurants and, like, boat mm -hmm. cruises and, you know, all that kind of jazz. So, yeah, I did that for, like, four or five years, actually. Nice. Are there mm -hmm. YouTube videos of some of your shows? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't... <sighs> no. 
I don't think so. Sometimes people send me random videos. They're like, oh, I think you're at my someone's wedding or something. <laughs> mm, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. No worries. And so this happens mm. after ballet. Mm. Um, then you got into samba. Mm. And I guess, how did you get into the, the partner dancing world mm-hmm. after that? So after that, so at the same time that I was getting into samba, I also started getting into West African dancing. So that was like happening at the same time, like parallel. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, then I got super into that. I went to Senegal um, to learn more about that. Wow. So you've been to Africa? Yeah, I've been to Africa. <laughs> I haven't been yet. Yeah. No, you have to go. It's amazing. It's crazy, crazy amazing. Um, but, yeah, so that that was the another like really in-depth dancing thing um Mm -hmm. so uh what happened then then i moved to colombia in 2015 um what sparked that move um so studying at uni um i used to study international relations so i had to choose somewhere to go and and then study that in i was studying spanish so to study international relations in spanish so Mm -hmm. just colombia because i knew they they love to dance and they have a lot of amazing dancing Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I was doing Afro a lot in, in Colombia and I was getting exhausted. Um, actually my body was having like a weird reaction. Um, it, it was started to feel like it was too much for me and I wanted to do something different. And literally that's when I found Kizomba. <laughs> so yeah, it was perfect timing. Mm. So how did you find out about Kizomba in Colombia? Who was teaching there? Um, so I just like literally happened, like just walk past the studio one day and like completely by chance, complete fluke, um, like right near where I was living. And, um, my teacher was Pilu. He was, he was my teacher. Uh, I just yeah. had him. Okay. And Marty Luz as well. So they, they were both. Mm-hmm. He was telling me about. About Marty. Yeah. Yeah. She's awesome. So. Honestly, it was like my first class. I remember I just walked in and this guy, he just gave me the biggest hug. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, that's really friendly. <laughs> um, and I don't know. It was just, it was amazing. I was super hooked. They they both taught in um, that way of like corporal awareness. And it was really like connection focused. Yeah, he mentioned that on the podcast. And for the listeners, I'll link that podcast in the show notes so you guys can check it out as well. Yeah, so that was honestly, that was pretty much it. From then, I just was completely addicted. I started going there like every day. I was barely going Mm -hmm. to uni, so I had heaps of time for dancing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And how long were you in Colombia? Just over a year. Okay, so you had some chances to to take a lot of classes then? A lot. There were so many classes. It it was great. I feel like I got so spoiled in that time, you know, Mm -hmm. like every day. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, and then you went back to Australia, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. Because I remember talking to Pilu. He was learning in Bordeaux in France and then ended up in Colombia and they were trying to like start the community there. Yeah. And then you took classes there from a, but you're from a different continent. Yeah. And so I guess that kind of inspired you to kind of come back to Australia and, and do the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Was there any Kizomba in Sydney at that time? Yeah, there was actually more, more than in Colombia. Um, mm. Yeah. So it was already a bigger established scene with like, 
maybe three or four different main teachers here. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, then I got to kind of do, I would call it like an internship with a couple of the teachers here where I like really trained with them a lot. I learned, I did like teacher training with them, like um, assistant training and like mentorship. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of mentorship. And then I started a dance partnership with um, a guy called Andy here in Sydney, Andy Fernandez. And yeah, we started teaching together and we had so much, I don't know if it's luck or, or what, but it was awesome. Like, yeah, we, we just really created this little like mini community with, with our classes and we both had that um, connection focus and sort of energetic focus in our way of teaching. Yeah, so we did that, I think, for two years together here. Nice. It was really nice, yeah. So were there already like DJs and socials and things like that to to go to in Sydney? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was. So there was um there was like two main two main DJs um or three and yeah there was like two social nights a week. They're not like massive like it's definitely nothing like Europe. Yeah, definitely. Know? But but something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now I mean pre-covid it was it was getting a lot bigger like one of one of the weekly socials here with um one of the DJs, Christoph, that was getting mm-hmm. really... Is that uh, DB Chris? Yeah, DB Chris. Or is that another one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has one of my favorite mixes. Oh, yeah. That he did like maybe a year or two ago. But mm-hmm. one of my favorite kids on mixes I just happened to stumble upon. And then I found out that he was from Australia. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, he's a great DJ. He, and him, his uh, partner, Amanda, they also teach and, and run events and stuff here. And yeah, they're really, really nice, really good events. Mm. That's awesome. And yeah. then, of course, then the festivals and the weekenders start and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, we've got all that stuff happening pre-COVID, but obviously now it's all like on the back burner. Mm. Mm-hmm, for sure. So I guess was Kizomba the first dance that you taught? Did you teach anything before that? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I did some teaching, like unofficial teaching when I was like in performance groups and stuff, like just training new people. But that's always like choreography based. It's not like basics or fundamentals. It's like, this is the show, learn this show. These are the moves. This is what you have to do. But it's not mm-hmm. like, um, it's not the same as, yeah, teaching fundamentals. So yeah, Kizan was my first Thing, and I didn't want to teach, actually. I always said I never want to teach dance. I just always wanted to dance. I never wanted to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I kind of got pushed into it. <laughs> and and then when I did start, I, I fell completely in love with it. So I, I totally changed my mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What parts of teaching did you fall in love with? Um, honestly, all of it. I felt... I felt that it was surprisingly like, um, easy for me. Like I felt like I really got in like a flow state with teaching. Um, I felt that I could read the room and like read what people needed um, quite easily. Yeah, so I just love, I don't know, I just love helping people. I love helping people to connect with themselves more deeply and, and creating space for people to express themselves and I just love watching people have fun basically and, and learn new things. Mm-hmm. And I like, I like to be supportive. Like I like to be in that role of supporting people. Um, and also I love choreographing. That's the other thing I really, really love. So I get very excited if I choreograph something and then I get to teach it and I see people doing it and like making it their own. Like I, I really love that. So yeah. Nice. <laughs> 
That's awesome. Yeah, teaching is definitely one of the things that I find that I'm the happiest doing. And it's awesome to like get the light bulb moments from the students and see them smile and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I know building a local community can also be pretty demanding on like time and energy because you have to wear so many hats. And it seems like you do a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So from graphic (laughs) design to the social media posts to video to taking care of your body and then class schedule, Mm -hmm. um, student management, payments, and then like answering questions and like keeping people nurtured so they come back to the next class. Mm-hmm. How did you find juggling all of that? That's very insightful and accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I've been, I've been around the block. <laughs> yeah. It's, I find it okay to manage the, the thing I find most difficult is that I'm extremely introverted as a person so mm-hmm. I'm I, also introverted. Are you? Yeah, I think so many mm-hmm. artists are actually. But yeah, I feel like I need a lot of time alone to, to recharge to do all of those things that you just said. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, COVID was actually good um, because it gave me like a lot of time and space to reevaluate how I'm working. And also because in now, like I also work as like an energetic healer and I blend mm-hmm. this with everything I do to some extent, obviously sometimes it's more intense than others, but all of my classes have this element in them. So it's a lot, it's a lot, (laughs) it's a lot of like energy Mm -hmm. output and and having to be um, like really clear and really grounded and and all the stuff. So yeah, it can be really challenging to juggle, to juggle everything, but I think it just, you have to be compassionate with yourself and, just do the best you can, basically. For sure. I feel like that's one aspect that I definitely am still working on Mm -hmm. and something that I was trying to incorporate more to like find my happiness in the dance because Mm -hmm. um, I was a full-time dancer and then traveling like crazy Mm -hmm. and then trying to organize the festival and trying to be active on social media. But like, I find that I'm really good at those things, Mm -hmm. but those aren't the things that make me happy, mm-hmm. you know, like those are like means to an end to continue dancing. But I feel like when I'm the happiest, it's like literally when I'm on like the social dance floor mm-hmm. or when I'm training and like getting lost in like my own creativity and like exploring new things or improving things. Mm-hmm. That's really when I'm the happiest. So I really had to like, even this year has been like really like an assessment of like, what makes you happy? What do you want in the dance? Because there wasn't really anything else to distract you. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy traveling, but like even teaching, I prefer teaching like like a weekender where I'm the only instructor or even like teaching like longer periods of time. Like I prefer that over teaching one hour at a festival, you know, because mm-hmm. at an hour at a festival is really just goes by so fast. And of course it's awesome. You get to meet, a lot of new people and things like that. But mm-hmm. like, at least for me, the way that I teach, I really like taking my students on a journey. So like a weekender where I'm teaching three to four hours on Saturday and Sunday, where it's like my favorite setup because I was able to like build on top of these building blocks and structures and see people grow over time mm-hmm. and different learning environments. But I feel like those really, really made me feel happy 
to dance in, you know, versus like just another, uh, another festival, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's, it's very important to find out, to find out what recharges you because it's very demanding and you give a lot of attention and energy in the class, you know? So if your cup gets close to being empty and then you're still trying to like give in class and Mm -hmm. traveling and all that kind of stuff, you can definitely get a little, I guess, burned out or just not in your best energy, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's totally, you've really got to try to make sure you don't get burnt out and, and maybe, yeah, just, make more decisions so that you can be aligned with, yeah, how you want to teach. Because I feel like, you know, with every industry, there's a kind of a certain pressure of what you should do. Mm-hmm. Or if you want a profile or you want to teach, you know, you should do X, Y, Z, you should do this and that, but maybe not, you know, you can always kind of choose to go in your own direction and then it's probably going to work out better anyway because you feel that joy and you feel like, yeah, this is actually what, I want to give and you you can give better like this, I think. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about being a solo instructor Mm. uh, because I noticed that you're the one on your flyers and things like that. (laughs) You mentioned that you (laughs) you had a a partnership that you started earlier. I think you said his name was Andy. Andy. Mm -hmm. So how has it been this many years in the game and being a solo instructor and Mm -hmm. you talked about at the beginning of the podcast the divine masculine and the the divine feminine Mm -hmm. and being able to switch between both Mm -hmm. and then i guess also putting that into an instructor's perspective yeah it's it's definitely a challenge to be a solo instructor especially i would say as a female solo instructor um Mm -hmm. you know there's just a relative amount of, uh, I would say, like underground prejudice or, you know, just within everything at large. So it's always, you know, a little bit of, uh, I don't know, a little bit of resistance, you could say. For sure. Um, but I I really like it. I like, I would like to have a partnership or I would like to have like a more permanent collaboration if there was someone I felt was like matching with with mm. what I want to do, which I don't feel there is at the moment. So mm-hmm. for now, I enjoy to be alone. But in terms of teaching alone, it can be tricky. So I teach a lot of ladies um, kizomba, which I don't find tricky. I find that like really easy and in flow and because I'm, yeah, I'm just teaching the one part. So I can really focus mm-hmm. and go super into detail and, yeah, there's no split focus. Um, but in terms of teaching partner classes as a solo, that can be tricky. I've recently started to work with an assistant who's one of my advanced students and mm-hmm. she, she's really awesome. She's really intuitive. Um, so that has been nice because I feel it's just a little bit of extra pressure off me and in that way I can try to split my attention more evenly between giving the information for the lead, giving the information for the follow without being talking all the time. Sometimes I feel like when you're teaching by yourself, you just Yeah, for so sure, much. because you have to do both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, in general, I'm, I'm finding lots of ways to make it work that kind of flow nicely. I'm starting to get more male students, which I'm happy about. I, I had this weird thing here for ages where I would teach partner classes and I would get all men and, like, one woman mm. or the next week all women and one man. 
and now it's starting to balance out. So I'm really happy. <laughs> um, Are you starting to have uh, female leads? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually, that's been a thing here for a while. Um, I think even when, when I first came here, there was some women who were leading because we've got way more women mm. in our scene. Um, yes. That's how it is everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like pandemic. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's, it's working. It's got its challenges, but I, I really like it. But I like to then collaborate um, or like train train with people when I can. Like right now I'm training with my friend Jan. I don't know. You might see some of our videos. That's like really nice. creative and to explore and, you know, try new ideas. So that's important too, I think, if you're by yourself. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good to have those uh, collaborations to kind of feed your artistic side, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. so that way you're not in instructor mode, promotion mode all the time. You're still doing things that are dance, more p- primary dance and primary artistic. Yeah. Because uh, I feel like that kind of stuff recharges you and gives you more energy to go back and teach and self-promote and all those kind of things Mm. yeah it's been a really good lesson in like self-sourcing inspiration like not um sort of you know not complaining or not like looking outside or really relying on other people to to give me what i need but really trying to go inside and, and constantly find yeah like new inspiration or how can i make this work and then how can how can i transmit this to people and it's been nice. I like it. It's a good, it's a good journey. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, for sure. So Genevieve, you mentioned earlier in the podcast that you enjoy teaching solo and kind of the divine feminine and divine masculine. And even the fact that you use that terminology mm-hmm. is like a signal that you have studied or have an interest mm-hmm. in this area of i guess knowledge and i guess way of living Mm. to a degree yeah Mm. i know a lot of different people like from tantra to just energy work and chakras and sound healing and Mm. reiki and all these kind of things have been out there so you mentioned before in the podcast or before we started the podcast that you um, experienced this uh, Kizomba bubble. So mm. let's, let's kind of delve into that in, yeah. in the energy. Okay. Kizomba bubble. So yeah, so I do work as an energy worker, like I call it like light work. And I feel like, yeah, this influences everything. Like you said, like lifestyle, how I see Kizomba and I've had lots of different experiences in Kizomba and I've heard from a lot of people that they've had similar experiences. Um, so I call it the Kizomba bubble and I'm sure other people call it that too. Um, and for me, it's kind of that feeling. It can be different, you know, it can, can be different for everyone, but that feeling that you can get when you're having a dance with someone or even if you're just dancing by yourself actually, um, where you start to feel that you're connected with something more than just your physical body or the other person's physical body. So, you know, you might start to completely lose track of time. You might feel that you're in a completely meditative state. Um, You might have sort of an out-of-body experience. Um, Depending on how you perceive things, you could perceive colour, you could perceive light, you could perceive um, that the person's body is like bigger than their actual physical body. 
your senses can become really heightened. You could start to feel sensations maybe like in certain parts of your body, like in your heart. Um, you could feel an overwhelming emotion. You could cry. Um, you could feel like a very deep sense of relaxation. <laughs> Sorry for the long maintenance. <laughs> um, yeah, it could be, you know, different for for everyone and it's not like it happens to me every time I dance Kizomba. It doesn't. But he's being very thorough today. <laughs> he's being very thorough. So sorry. Um, no worries at all. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like, you know, it doesn't happen every time you dance, but it, you know, involves the two people within the dance really being open. So being connected with themselves, connected with the earth or with the ground, connected with the music and then connected with each other and then um, allowing some form of surrender. So really like giving your trust over to that person and I think that is the key ingredient for kind of um, having this kind of Kizomba bubble experience where you start to perceive something bigger than, than just this like little dance. My mind went in two different places hearing you speak. And the second one is a question. So I'll talk about the other one first. Um, I really like that you use the word surrender. Um, it's very interesting as a lead to experience that where you have the follower just really just in tune with your energy and like you feel that surrender and it definitely adds a level of trust and almost in an intimacy and it's rare to come across, you know, because it's not like there wasn't any verbal agreement or consents or planning of it or anything like that. It's just something that you just kind of like happen to fall into, but it definitely makes those dances definitely memorable. Mm -hmm. And I would even say in my Zook exploration, I feel like there's maybe a more prevalent energy of, of surrender from the follow sometimes, especially in some of the movements that you find the follower in, mm -hmm. like there is a surrender because like her eyes are closed. She can't see what she's doing. So she's really trusting you to like shape her spine or fall into this movement. And it's been, it's been really nice to kind of like be exposed to that and kind of like adapt that and like take that into Kizomba as well. Mm. Yeah, I love that. That's um, like when you're saying that, it's like so in in the energy body, like we have the divine feminine, the divine masculine. And if you go to that extreme polarity, you know, the divine feminine, um, it feels really good if when, when we embody that feminine, if we can surrender and if we can be open and receptive and um, like really invoke that creativity and that, yeah, that's like part of our divine nature, I think, as women and something that we really want to feel. But there's several ingredients that you need to be able to feel that from yourself and then from your partner. So in a dance, if the leader, if I feel that the leader is really grounded and really present, presence is like super key. If I feel like he's really present and um connected with himself and not really projecting his energy. Like if I don't feel like he's trying to, he's not trying to make me do anything. So there's no mm. like 
um, you know, from a technical point of view, there's no real like, you know, like brute force or like big overleading. So like a subtle mm. lead who's really present and grounded for me then. So that's the divine masculine activation will allow me to be in my feminine, which would be the surrender and the receptive. And then in that moment, I feel that's when that bubble thing can happen, you know? Definitely. Mm. Mm-hmm. I find that when I follow, I struggle with that surrender. And it's something that's like I'm just not used to. Mm. But there's definitely like space for it to like practice and like get it into your system. But mm. yeah, you just pick up on a lot to like, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if it's going to be a Saida or a syncopation or a slow or anything. And just kind of like mm. being really present. But then I feel like my musicality brain is like a crazy sometimes <laughs> and I, I can't control myself. But um, mm. I definitely feel that sometimes as well. Um, the second thing that I wanted to kind of get into, I did this podcast a few years ago where we kind of talked about like the differences of the left brain and the right brain and being like more logical versus more of a feeler. Mm. And from what I'm hearing, it sounds like you've been delving more on the feeler side of things. Mm -hmm. And, but you also did ballet and you talked about like the structure of that as well. So I'm curious to hear which one you resonate with Mm. maybe outside of dance and inside dance. Mm. I'm definitely logically more logic mind first, (laughs) but I feel like through dancing Kizomba, Mm. it's really opened me up to like be more receptive and like, exist. And I try to like balance both, Mm. even though my default is definitely more on the on the logical side of things Mm. my default is definitely the feeler side i'm like Mm. i'm like i swear i'm like on the spectrum (laughs) 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 i'm like super super extreme like extremely sensitive and extremely emotional and like very into feeling everything that's just how Mm. i it's how i live but it's also how i learn i have to um, like reading stuff doesn't really help me that much. I need to just do it and feel it and and live it. But dancing then gives me a little bit of that balance in terms of it's a container to hold mm-hmm. like all of that energy. Um, and I love to work with both. So like obviously like all the work I put out there, it looks like divine feminine, divine feminine, 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 feminine. But to have that, you also need the balance. So I also... Um, love to work with like my own divine masculine energy, which is more for me, it's like your, your balance that you need will be unique. So like mm-hmm. for you, if you're more logical base, your balance will be more skewed towards that. And then you just need that little bit of the other thing to give you that, that creativity. And for me, it's the opposite. I need heaps and heaps of feeling and then just a little bit of structure so that I don't fly away. <laughs> I got you. So the, the dancing helps me with that as well. And, and teaching helps me because I have to structure something. Um, yeah. And all of your students have different learning styles. So you yes. have to be able to adapt to those because, I mean, you could talk feeling all day. Mm. But if you're dealing with a more logical student, He's not going to understand what's going on, you know. That's right. And that's or something that I really need to work on is getting <laughs> that other language, um, yeah, more um, prevalent in, in my teaching and, and stuff to be a bit more relatable to, to different people, I think. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's definitely different when you're in a one-on-one situation versus a group situation, mm-hmm. you know. And 
you know, like you, you mentioned reading the room, you have to be able to see who's there and based on what kind of questions they're asking and how you feel the class is progressing and all that, all those kind of things. And you have your information of what you want to share, but then being able to like uh, share or break down that information in like 10 different ways, depending on mm. who it is that you're dealing with, you know, what group of individuals. Yeah, that's so true. That's such a good a good skill to have. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. always developing. We have a lot of um, a lot of the men I teach here are engineers for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't an engineer, but I was in IT, yeah. so pretty much kind of the same thing. But I feel like a lot of the guys in the dance scene are definitely on that engineer, technical IT mm-hmm. kind of vibe yeah and it's fascinating i love it it's like i guess they they drawn to it because they want to get in their body and, and out of their head for a while which is really nice mm-hmm. Mm. definitely that's awesome yeah and so i have some actually did you have anything else that you wanted to share about the energy before we went on to the kind of more personal questions mm, i guess just that I don't know. I just, I hope people start to share more about their experiences in Kizomba on this plane. I mean, obviously everyone, you know, they say they love Kizomba, blah, blah, blah. But I personally mm-hmm. would love to hear more people talking about kind of their more weird experiences. Like, oh, I had this dance with this person and mm. I felt like I was floating on cloud nine or I felt, I don't know. I, I would love to hear more people expressing more openly about that um, without, you know, fear of, you know, it sounding really weird. Or, yes, a vulnerable thing, yeah. for sure. So, um, yeah, just that when we when we dance Kizomba, we're really connecting super deeply with, like, our energy, our soul, and such an intimate experience with someone. And I think it's a really nice place if you're curious to learn more about yourself as an energetic being. Kizomba's mm-hmm. a really cool platform to, to do that with, basically. Yeah. Definitely. I agree for sure. Mm-hmm. Have you read the blog that talks about the dance love languages or have you heard of the five love languages? I have. And I don't think I've read the blog, but I, I know the like the normal like touch and, and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would you say your love languages are? Uh, all of them. <laughs> but no. <laughs> Um, there are some people that score kind of high and my friends call them the universal donors of love. Oh yeah. That's nice. <laughs> uh, no, I think mine's definitely touch. I think most people who do Kizomba there's is probably touch. Um, it's a very mm-hmm. tactile hobby to have touch and maybe quality time, quality time. Yeah. Quality time. Based on what you've shared so far about being present in, mm-hmm. in the moment and being a subtle a lead sounds like it. Yeah. I feel like, so uh, maybe three or four years ago, I had this crazy idea of like, I've, I've learned about the love languages mm-hmm. and then I was also in love with Kizomba and I was like, okay. Um, I was like kind of having a epiphany that like Kizomba was helping me get the physical touch that I didn't get when I was younger. Mm. And maybe that's why I was so attracted to it. Mm. And so I put out like this little mini survey and I interviewed or I got 20 people to fill out the survey. Cool. And 
as did I say 20 or 200? 200 people. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. To wow. fill out the survey. And the top two love languages yeah. of the Kizomberos were physical touch and quality time. Oh, there you go. That's so interesting. Mm. Wow. That makes a lot of sense though, right? Yeah. Exactly. So even if somebody's primary love language isn't touch, mm. but they enjoy the quality time, then that was definitely mm. uh, an aspect for them. And touch is one of my top love languages. And then it's either like a toss up between acts of service or words of affirmation. Mm. But um, I definitely feel like there's people that I mean, there's definitely those moments where like you just kind of like in an embrace with your partner and you're in the moment and if the music lends itself to that. Mm. Um, but this brings me to my other reason why I brought up the five. I'm sorry, the dance love languages, because my friend kind of took that concept and put a spin on it in the dance way. Mm. And she kind of listed different love languages in dance, like creativity or connection or expression and things like that. And how you can figure out what those love languages are. Mm. And creativity is one of those. Mm. And I feel like my creativity is like definitely up there. If we ever get a chance to dance, like I feel like I'm not like a, like a, a toddler that's just like, crazy <laughs> but i like exploring different things and like musicality mm. i definitely tend to like move around a little bit more and yeah like i've analyzed myself and i've watched tons of videos and i just feel like that's where i feel happiest mm. um but then i guess i don't know i don't know what would happen if i had a dance partner and i was able to like get all of that out of my system Mm. and then maybe focus more on the connection. It'll be interesting because I feel like if you don't have a partner, sometimes the social dance floor becomes, becomes like a learning playground Mm. where you're like testing things sometimes. And yeah, it's just different dynamics. Honestly, for me, my like my ideal favorite dance would be extremely, extremely creative but with mm-hmm. really good technique, <laughs> mm-hmm. really connected at the same time. So, like, some of those Kizomba bubble moments I've had have been doing, like, a really kind of – it hasn't just been, like, a basic dance. It's been, like, a really intricate mm. or, or creative thing because then I kind of go in that storytelling mode where I really feel like I'm, like, saying something very specific um, mm-hmm. that kind of – puts me in like sort of a trancey state as well, which I really like. Definitely. Yeah. They're not mutually exclusive. The connection and I guess creativity mm. or technicality, they're not mutually exclusive. Mm, totally. Yeah. Mm, I hope we get to dance. That'd be nice. Yes. But yeah, musicality is definitely like second nature for me. And then like, I don't know, like, I don't know. My brain just goes in all different kind of like possibilities and like musicality. And then what am I getting from the follower? What is she good at and Mm -hmm. capable of doing? And what is she understanding from me? What am I understanding from her? Uh, What is she hearing, not hearing, you know, Mm -hmm. so many, so many things to be aware of. And it's just kind of awesome that we process all of this information just kind of like in milliseconds. It's crazy. I know. And without saying anything. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. It's nonverbal, which is crazy. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into our personal questions section. I guess I need to give this section a name. It doesn't have a name yet. 
if you're listening to the podcast and have a name for this particular lightning round question section of the podcast, uh, let us know. And also on the five or not the five love languages and then also the dance love languages, I'll be sure to include that link in the show notes so you guys can check that out and see which one of those dance love language dance love languages resonates with you. So uh, Genevieve, mm-hmm. what is an interesting quirk that you have that not a lot of people know about you? Uh, hmm. I just don't know. Uh, an interesting quirk. Mm. Well, something that I've been sharing with people recently and they seem really surprised about <laughs> is that I really love um, Latin American soap operas. <laughs> really? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I think people nice. doesn't go with the whole like energy work stuff. <laughs> because it's like the drama, yeah, it's and drama. who's killing him and yeah who's cheating on who <laughs> do you speak spanish yeah i do speak spanish yeah okay so i'm fluent in spanish as well so cool i've dated some hispanic women i guess unsurprisingly mm-hmm. and telenovelas were definitely a thing and it's like to me sister cuerno y te odio and then <laughs> Uh so many crazy things but yeah Mm. interesting Mm -hmm. so what would you say is the app that you use on your phone the most excluding messaging apps and social media okay um probably soundcloud Mm -hmm. yeah or spotify i just always have nice music all the time for everything or podcasts not as much but um yeah, also podcasts. So probably those two. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. If there was one food or dish that you could eat for a week, mm-hmm. what would that be? Watermelon. <laughs> Watermelon. <laughs> Interesting. Sandia. Yeah, I love it so much. Yeah. What is it about watermelon? Did you eat it a lot as a child or? I don't know. I'm just obsessed with it. It's so good. It's like three water, mm. but it's sweet. and <laughs> <laughs> So good. Nice. All right. Last question. What is your favorite animated movie <gasps> of all time? Frozen. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. It's so good. And Frozen (laughs) 2. Nice, nice, nice. That's that's good to know. I really like the How to Train Your Dragon series. Oh, yeah, that's good too. Mm. That was really good. And I like dragons in general. So that one, that will be my pick. Yeah, I like it. Toothless, is that it? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So cool. Yeah. All right. So we're getting to the end of the podcast and we just have two main things to kind of get out of the way. Number one, letting the people know how to reach you and how to contact you on social media, any future projects that you have coming up. And the second last one would be the inspirational quotes to share with our awesome listeners. Sure. Um, Okay. So I have a website, so that's like the center of everything. So that's just www.dancingchange.com. My Facebook is Genevieve Rogan Dancing Change. Instagram, Genevieve Dancing Change. And I do have a very exciting project coming up um, that I hope to God will be finished by Christmas. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm creating a massive, massive, massive 
online course for ladies, Kisamba, um, called I Am Woman. And it's very, very holistic. It's about working with your menstrual cycle in a conscious way. It's about working with feminine divine archetypes. And then you also learn um, the I Am Woman choreography, which I'll send you the link for that as well. Nice. So so we can include all those things in the show notes. So they'll be able to find that out through... Through the website. Your website? I got you. Awesome. Yeah. And the quote, which I love, is um, by Osho. And it's... Forget the dancer, the center of the ego, become the dance. And I, mm. I love this because that's, for me, that just sums up everything. Yeah. Definitely. Mm. Why did you choose that particular quote? Uh, I think it's when I first heard it, I had just started learning how to do dancing meditation and, and it just explained to me how I felt about dance in general, that it has nothing to do with you really as a person it's like your body just becomes kind of this channel for this really like Mm -hmm. ancient expression and you know if you just take your ego out of it you can have this most amazing experience yeah definitely yeah it's really interesting how like you mentioned before the self-awareness that you can kind of come across through dance Mm -hmm. is really awesome and yeah like thinking about how I feel and view dance now versus five years ago. And like what I know about myself, Mm. it's, it's really crazy. It definitely gives you just more opportunities to kind of like realize how you show up and how you feel in certain environments, you know? Mm, Exactly. Like a little mirror all the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, Genevieve, it's been awesome. We are at an hour and a half. It hasn't even felt like an hour and a half. It's crazy. Not at all. But I really enjoyed hearing about your dance journey from being in ballet to samba to starting Kizomba and then South America. And I didn't know you were fluent in Spanish. So that's awesome as well. And yeah, it's been awesome to hear about how you view the dance and props to you for being a solo instructor, because I know that's not easy as well. And it was awesome to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was really, really awesome to talk to you. And yeah, thanks for creating this beautiful podcast. It's really awesome. I definitely have the time nowadays. So it's definitely something that I feel passionate about because I feel like we can't have these conversations at festivals Mm -hmm. or when you take a private lesson or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I feel like if I do 500 of these episodes, it'll just be something cool to just have out there in the dancing. Mm. And it's something that I have the technical skills to produce. So it's kind of like a good kind of like project to kind of just put the energy out there and let people listen to stories and see how dance is affecting us in different parts of the world and through different, uh, I guess, time periods, you know? Yeah, it's amazing. I love it. I really love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you didn't tell people about your podcast. <laughs> you need to promote your podcast. <laughs> I have a podcast. <laughs> um, it's called Dancing Change. It's on Spotify and it's, it's a baby one. We've got five, five episodes so far, but yeah, it's nice. The journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. we will link the podcast's in the show notes as well. So you guys can check out that podcast as well. And yeah, let me know if you need any help with your podcast or anything like that. Thank you. And I can share my 
experience. And yeah, thanks so much for being a part of the show. And we'll be in touch soon. Thank you very much. See you. Have a great day. Thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today. Be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey. 